While the children are exiting this morning, just a reminder, we'll have that prayer for our neighbors. And if you're our guest this morning, um, you say, what's that about? Well, it's literally us praying for our neighbors. We've written the names down of some of our neighbors that live around us. The challenge was to try to find the names of eight of those neighbors to fill up that block map. Uh, it's not a campaign, it's not a branding initiative, it's not anything like that, it's just us loving our neighbors. Like when Jesus said that, it was a broad stroke, of course, love your neighbors yourself. The, the lawyer asked, well, who is my neighbor? And he said, anybody hurting? Well, it is that, but it's also our literal neighbor. God put us where he put us to be ambassadors for him. So we're gonna pray for them at the end of the sermon this morning, and I'm looking forward to that. Don't forget on your way out, too, that um, prayer guide for praying for Jaya Kumar and the BBCM team in India. That's so important. Uh, if you happen to forget that, it's also available online. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter number six as we continue in our series, the Sermon on the Mount, this counter-cultural living that God has called his disciples to. I just am so enriched by hearing the words of our Lord, and I know that you have been too. Let me ask you just a question. Are you a worrier? <laughs> Somebody said that ulcers aren't caused by what we eat, it's caused by what's eating us. Maybe, I don't know. Haven't had one, don't want one, so I'll try not to worry and watch what I eat, right? What about this? The, the energy that you put into worrying is the equivalent of shoveling smoke. Well, that sounds productive. So how do you move from being an anxious warrior to an active warrior in the Lord's army? Well, God's word should light us up today. I believe there's encouragement for all of us in the text. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, make your word a swift word this morning, passing from the ear to the heart quickly, and from the heart to the lip and conversation. It's like the rain doesn't return empty, Lord, so neither may your word. Today, may it accomplish that for which it was given. In Jesus' name, amen. We continue in this incredibly simple yet profound teaching from our Lord known as the Sermon on the Mount. In the first 18 verses of chapter 6, he's dealing with countering the hypocrisy that's of the religious elite. We talked about that a little bit. This past week, we talked about treasuring treasure and the danger that comes with that. And so now we see this shift after the model prayer, the disciples' prayer model, this shift of now countering the materialism of the age in the rest of this chapter. He's called us to live in a way that pushes back on the norms and what is culturally accepted, acceptable. It has repercussions on how we pray, on how we give. It has repercussions on how we love our enemies. It has repercussions on how we share the gospel. It has repercussions on how we deal with anger, how we value marriage, how we treat others with honesty instead of hostility, and how we walk in purity instead of chasing all of the passions that this world tells us we've got to chase. 
By the way, just a side note for those of you taking notes this morning and wondering about the method of preaching that Grace Covenant has had since its inception, this expository preaching. Think about what I've just talked about, marriage and purity of living and dealing with uh, the pressures of life and anger and loving our enemies and giving and praying and honesty instead of hostility. Listen, the Bible is relevant. We don't have to make it relevant. It is relevant. And when we let the Bible speak for itself and follow along so that you know what's coming, and I know what's coming. I'm not up scratching my head on Saturday night thinking, what in the world am I going to preach tomorrow? No, it's the next thing. It's pretty easy. It's right there. Now, some of them kind of preach themselves. It's hard for me to get out of the way. Don't amen right there. Thank you. <laughs> Others take a little work, right? They really do. This is one that's pretty straightforward because it appeals to such common sense and also our reality in Christ. Jesus spoke to the rich and the poor when he was on the mountain. Now, last week's message, many of us would lay that to the feet of the rich. We'll say, well, he's talking about don't lay up treasures on earth. Don't, don't storehouse your treasure. Don't treasure treasure. That's for people who are affluent. But we were all challenged, weren't we, on treasuring treasures. I just want to remind you that the message was not so much about stuff as it was about Christ is worth more than all the treasure the world could offer. He's worthy of all praise and adoration, and he's worthy of all glory. He alone can satisfy. He knows you. He knows me. We are his people, the psalmist said. We're to make a joyful noise to the Lord, serving him with gladness, coming into his presence with singing like we did this morning, knowing that he's Lord, that he's God, that it's he who made us and not we ourselves. We are the sheep of his pasture, the Bible teaches us. He's good. His love endures forever, and his faithfulness is to all generations. You and I were made for worship. And when Christ is not the object of our worship, guess what we do? We put other things in its place. Everybody worships something. I quoted first time ever Bob Dylan last week, right? You got to serve somebody. Everybody worships something. Christ is showing us through his word, Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament, that he alone is able to satisfy. But I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure, when we hear that, we were made to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And we were not made just to get all the stuff we could have and amass all these possessions, because, you know, YOLO. When we think like that, we're like, yeah, that's for the rich, that's not me. I'm sure the poorest of the crowd standing on the mountainside were like, yeah, Jesus, you stick it to the rich. They wouldn't have said that, but... If I would have been on the side of the mountain, that's probably something I would have said in my lost condition, right? Yeah, yeah, rich people, they've got too much stuff. Yeah, tell them, Jesus. I've been in sermons before, not preaching them, but in church meetings before where the pastor get wound up on something and chasing something and somebody from the back yell, get them, Jesus. I don't know what that means, but he kept on after it, so... I'm sure the poorest there were standing there thinking, that's right, these rich people need to focus on the Lord, not on their riches. By the way, when we're tempted to identify ourselves as poor, and I recognize we know where we fall, probably on the wealthy scale in this nation, but the poorest, the poorest 20% of this nation, the poorest of us, 
Um, the poorest 20% of Americans consume more goods and services than the national averages for all the people in all of the rest of the affluent countries in the world. So perspective, before we dog out the one percenters in the US, remember we're among the two to three percenters for the whole globe. So Jesus then says, okay, you think that's for the rich, and then he kind of widens the beam a little bit and lowers the boom lovingly as he does on all of us. And he says, don't be anxious about anything. Here's your first point here. Don't fear living. Don't fear living. Don't be anxious about life. Don't be anxious about life's details. Let's look at the text. Therefore, I tell you, therefore, after treasuring treasure message, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you'll drink or about your body or what you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. The word here for anxious is having a care. Now that seems extreme to me. I don't know if you are around a lot of Brits, but it's an expression that the British still use today, have a care. It tends to mean like, be a little more careful with your words or with your actions. We watched uh, some, I forget what it was on PBS, some British drama last year that was on about something that happened several hundred years ago. And one of the main characters, like every week, it was almost like you could do character bingo and how many times he'd say, have a care, have a care, have a care. Jesus is saying here, don't have a care. Now he's not talking about careless indifference to living. Obviously, that doesn't balance out with the rest of what he's teaching. Remember, he's hitting these two extremes, but he's saying, don't get so wrapped up. Don't have so much care about your living and your daily needs being met that you begin to obsess over that and that having a care turns into worry and that worry grips you with fear and that fear robs you of faith. It's there. It's in the text. You'll see it. Have a care. Listen, when you're, when you're wondering about what is the Bible saying here, have a care, don't be anxious. Surely he doesn't mean don't care. Huh? Well, he says right here, be careful just diving into one verse and trying to make a doctrine out of it. Remember, our things, the things we use when we study God's word, we observe, we, we look for interpretation, and then we get to application. Most of us glance and then try to hunt for application. But if you'll widen the beam a little bit, look at the context. The context here is treasuring Christ above all treasures. Jesus has been actively minimizing the significance of material possessions. It's all very well and good to turn your back on wealth when you're rich. You ever notice that? Like you see in the news, such and such steps away from his career. Like so-and-so, I love this for pastors. Just a side note here. When I read, pastor so-and-so has chosen not to take a salary from his church. And he pastors this massive church. You're like, what a blessing. Now, it doesn't disclose that he's written 35 books and he can live... 15 times off the royalties, right? But it's easy for wealthy people to say, you know what, I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna stop eating there. I don't need to go out to eat as much. I'm going to stop spending $200,000 a year going out to eat. I don't know, but like you and I don't have that problem, most of us here. It seems easy for that, but here he's saying that our legit earthly needs that we have can become such a source of worry. Like we can worry ourselves to death right out of trusting God. 
for what he promised he would do. Jesus says, follow me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever would save his life, giving too much care to take the reins of his life, will lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. This is not just about martyrdom. This is about where your cares are. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits its soul? Or what should a man give in return for his soul? The longer we follow the Lord Jesus Christ as his disciple-making disciples, hear me, church, the less we will be consumed with the things of this earth. Whether it's getting too much stuff or worrying ourselves to death that we're going to have enough. The more we focus on Christ, the more those things fade. You know the song, we sing it here, I love it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. We'll still enjoy the things and the goodness of God, perhaps even more. I saw a headline, I believe it was in the New Yorker on my news feed or in the New York Times, not sure, but the headline said, study shows that wanting less actually brings more satisfaction, right? You wonder if sometimes these op-ed pieces, like they just discovered the Bible and want to just, hey, wow, there's some wisdom here. The longer we follow the Lord Jesus, the less stuff we want, the less we worry about the things. Loyalty to Christ's kingdom values rejects slavery to stuff, whether it's getting too much, or stuck in the perpetual upgrade loop like we talked about last week, or the frenetic, this is gonna sting a little bit, faithless, worried obsession with the essentials. Worry has been described as a small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into all the other thoughts until they're drained. Don't fear living. Don't let that anxiousness turn into worry that it keeps you from living life. Second observation from the text, it's the middle chunk, the biggest chunk of our text this morning. Notice God's favor. Jesus quickly points to the Lord's favor in sustaining his creation and lesser created things. Bird lovers, sorry about that, but lesser created things. Observe God's provision for and through creation. Look at the text. I'll dance briefly through it since we've already touched it, but look, he says, look at the birds of the air. He tells us they neither sow nor reap. They don't gather into barns. They don't have meetings to try to decide things. They, they, they know that they're just going to live and enjoy life. They're our Heavenly Father. Your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than birds? Yes. I don't know if Peter will tell you that, but your pastor is telling you, yes, you are of more value than lesser created things. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet the greatest, wealthiest, wisest king of all the world 
couldn't pull off a lily garb. <laughs> if God so clothes the grass of the field that's put into the furnace, even Bermuda grass. Y'all, if you, there, you find previous sermons, Bermuda grass comes up, sorry. If God so clothes it and it still comes up green and it still comes up, he's going to clothe us. And he finishes that verse 30 with a little punch there again. Oh, you of little faith. Look at the birds of the air, he says. Our heavenly Father feeds them. Look at your life. You cannot live forever. Look at the lilies. Our heavenly Father clothes them. You see, says Martin Luther with great charm, he's making the birds our schoolmasters and our teachers. What's the big picture here? The big picture here is that life can be filled with concern, right? Legitimate concerns. We're called to be good stewards. We're called to give thought and prudence to providing, especially for our families and all of those things. But, but a life filled with worry is incompatible with the life that's offered in Christ. But I also want to just show you what Christ is teaching here. It's also incompatible with common sense. Let's notice it one more time. Birds don't worry. Look around. You say, I ain't got time to look at birds. Make time. We're actually commanded to look at birds. I'm not saying you gotta go buy a thousand dollar pair of binoculars, become a bird watcher and start journaling, right? We need you also to earn a living for your family. I'm just saying, look at the birds. Take a moment and notice the birds. Just watch them. Watch them flutter around. Birds aren't worried. Lilies aren't concerned about the latest fashion trend. They're not checking their feed or looking at the influencers to see, can I really wear this with this? Not a care. Not a care. And yet, none of the influencers can pull off the lily's beauty. Grass, and I hope you appreciate this note, is grass. I mean, come on, it's... <laughs> Deep and profound. What's your pastor? Our pastor quoted Spurgeon. My pastor said, grass is grass. <laughs> a good day. I remembered it, though. God's favor is even on the grass. He's saying, if I take care of the birds, and I take care of the lilies, the flowers, fellas, that we'll buy for our significant others, wink, that's tomorrow. Um, they'll, I mean, eventually you'll throw them out. They're beautiful, but... They're dead when you put them in the vase. Grass, he takes care of all these things, adorns all these things in a way that points to his majesty. He's saying, I'm going to take care of you. If God takes care of the little birds, he's got a plan for you. If God clothes the lilies, he has what you need. If God covers the grass, which is cut down and burned, God will take care of you. God will take care of your needs. With our eyes on the birds and the flowers and the fields, our hearts should have a song of praise that he's more than enough. He is El Shaddai, the God of plenty. He is more than enough. 
Look back at verses 31 and 32 as we complete this middle section here before our final point. Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. This one is a little starker contrast. Now he's pointing us to created things. He's saying, don't be so consumed with these because when you're thinking constantly about these things, You're acting like those outside the family of God. That's that word there. The Gentiles represented those in the teaching where Jesus is teaching, represented those outside the faith, those who were consumed with materialism and consumed with trying to get an edge. Logic says we shouldn't be so wrapped up in thinking about those many old things, but our desire to be men and women of faith says that this is not the way we were designed to live, to be obsessed to the point of being anxious, to the point of worrying, to being accused by the righteous judge of having little faith. Somebody said the ignorant worry that they know too little, the educated worry that they know too much, the poor fret and worry because they don't have any money, the rich fret and worry that somebody's gonna take theirs away. The old worry because they're facing death and the sunset of life and the young worry because they're facing an uncertain future. I think it's relevant this morning that we see the process that anxiety, anxiousness, being obsessed over those things takes us to worry and that pulls us away from walking as warriors of faith. Worry tears us up inside. It divides us. It creates instability where there doesn't need to be any. James spoke about that instability. A person who who thinks God's not going to provide for them is a double-minded man or woman, unstable in all their ways. So when you go to God in prayer daily, are you asking God for wisdom on how to steward what he's blessed you with? Are you thanking him for the provision that he already has? We, Lord, we give us this day our, say it, daily bread. Today's. Is that your motivation in prayer? Or are you, when you go to God in prayer, just worried to death about all the things you cannot control? Our Heavenly Father knows. He knows that you have needs, Jesus says. You don't have to give a thought to this. He knows that you have needs. He knows And our Heavenly Father knows you. You. He knows you. He still loves you. Our human experience is this. God created and now sustains our life. He also created and continues to sustain our body. This is a fact of everyday experience. We didn't make ourselves, nor can we keep ourselves alive. If God already takes care of our own lives... If God, by his mercy, who while we were yet sinners, sent his only begotten son because he so loved the world, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, for the wages of our sin was death, but God in his mercy gave a gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. If God has handled our intake and output 
of oxygen and carbon dioxide, if God has regulated the rhythm of our heart, if God has gone by the person of his son to prepare a place for us that no eye has seen, nor has it entered in the hearts of men what God has prepared for those who love him, if God has taken care of all of this, he'll get you what you need today. He's God. He's enough. He's enough. Don't fear living life. Take a moment. Step out of the noise. See God's favor all around you. Lastly this morning, live by faith. Live by faith. God's ways, God's word, and God's will should be at the top of our list of concerns. Not what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, or will I live another moment? That's in God's hands. Look at the final two verses here that Jeremy's already read for us this morning. They're worth looking at again. I wonder this morning, just as a great exercise, I've got it on the screen in the version I'm reading from, if you would join with me and read this verse out loud. Let's say it together. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God is saying here very simply, you know this, keep first things first. And what are the first things? What are the main things? Well, go back to the great commandment that we know so well as Grace Covenant Church. You'll love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It's the greatest and first commandment. And then he said the second is like the first. Love the neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. It's the Shema from the Old Testament. It's that early, hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. That Get your attention. I have something to say. Listen up. I'm pointing to God and here's our mission in life. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then in that last part, a verse that we quote very infrequently because the wording's a little, right? Sufficient for the day of, what's that? Sufficient, what's that? How did it word it again? Right, that's not a memory verse, don't worry. But Jesus is mentioning a couple of days there. He mentions both today and tomorrow. All worry is about tomorrow. Whether about food or clothing or anything else, but all worry is experienced today. The anxious fear that is upsetting you now is about some future event which may or may not happen. <laughs> we worry that we may not pass a test or an exam, or get the job, or get the promotion, or get married, or stay in good health, or succeed in some enterprise. But hear me, church family, most of these fears are liars. Many worries, perhaps most, if you went back and audited your prayer journals, most worries never material. They don't. Worry is the advance interest you pay on troubles that seldom come. 
Vance Habner, a great preacher from North Carolina, said it this way, worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. There are two days in every week that you should not worry about. You ready? The first one is yesterday. Can't do anything about it. It's done. It's gone. Yesterday. You can't change it. You can go back and rethink things, re-strategize, replan for the future, but you, you don't get to change yesterday. The other day and every week that you should not worry about is, you know it, Jesus said it, tomorrow. You can't do anything about it. It's beyond your control. Now, you can make decisions today that impact the future. Again, I'm not calling us to careless indifference about our decisions, but Jesus is saying that care that stokes into anxiety, that stokes into worry, that stokes into fear, that robs you of faith. It's right there. Oh, you of little faith. That only leaves one day. That's today. Any woman, any man can fight the battles of one day. But when you try to add the battles of another day and the battles of yesterday, that's where we're liable to break down. It's too much. It's too much. Jesus' disciples are not exempt from earning their own living. They're not exempt from responsibility for others. And Jesus' disciples are not exempt from experiencing trouble. But we were called not to be anxious about today in our lives. Anxiety and worry can be emotionally and psychologically paralyzing. They are spiritual thieves that rob us of joy and peace and sleep and a thousand other things. Actually, worry is only the symptom of the disease. I've mentioned it several times. Worry is the symptom, the disease. Little faith. The good news is Jesus has written a prescription today and there's no copay. It's free. Here's what Jesus says to do, to overcome worry. Here's the antidote for worry. Number one, trust that our heavenly Father will provide just like he said it would. In verse 32, the Bible says, your Father knows that you have need of them all. Trust your heavenly Father will provide. The second part of the prescription, here it comes. Seek his kingdom first. Trust, seek, third one, live. Live one day at a time. Be prudent and wise in your planning, but handle what happens in the present. Look at it on the screen. You want to move from being an anxious warrior to an active warrior in the army of the Lord? Trust, seek, live. I'm going to ask Julia to move toward the piano just to get ready for our time of response. In 1934, the year was marked as years before and after, but especially in 34, it was a year of great hardship and severe economic depression and uncertainty in America. People were anxious and they were worried. During a revival meeting in Muskogee, Oklahoma, in that same year, B.B. McKinney wrote a hymn, Have Faith in God. He wrote more than 500 hymns, but this one is such a great summary 
of Matthew 6, 25 through 34. I'm going to put the lyrics on the screen for you just so you can see them as I read through this. Great summary of our text this morning. Have faith in God when your pathway is lonely. He sees and knows all the way you have trod. Never alone are the least of his children. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God when your prayers are unanswered. Your earnest plea he will never forget. Wait on the Lord. Trust his word and be patient. Have faith in God. He'll answer yet. Have faith in God in your pain and your sorrow. His heart is touched with your grief and despair. Cast all your cares and your burdens upon him and leave them there. Leave them there. Last verse. Have faith in God. Though all else fail about you, have faith in God. He provides for his own. He cannot fail, though all kingdoms shall perish. He rules and he reigns upon his throne. And the chorus that you would sing in between each verse says this, have faith in God, he's on his throne. Have faith in God, he watches over his own. He cannot fail, he must prevail. Have faith in God, have faith in God. If you're struggling with worry, I'm calling you this morning to trust, seek, and live. Let's pray. Precious Lord, in these moments where we pray together, we ask that we would treasure you and rest in you and let all the worry and clamor be dimmed. Lord, that we would focus on you above all your creatures, above all of our health and beauty and above any glory and honor we might receive, above all power and dignity, above all knowledge and subtlety, above riches and art and fame and praise and sweetness and comfort, above even the hope and the promises that we cling to, above the gifts that we have and the favor that you bestowed upon us, above all the jubilee that the mind of man can receive and feel, Lord, above all angels and powers and principalities, above all things, visible and invisible. Lord, we want to see you, to trust you, to live today, bringing you the glory and the honor that you deserve and enjoying you forever. Lord, we surrender those burdens today as much as is possible. Lord, we lay them down on that altar and we leave them there. In Christ's name, let the church say amen.